Now we're in lesson 10 today. We're going to go do a little bit of review back over and finish up today. But what we're going to look at today is again is the message of reconciliation. So we're in verses 11 through 15 first of all. And then we're going to look at reconciliation in Christ. Let's look at these verses. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer for them should no live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. So okay, we're quickly here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go through these real quickly because we've already looked at these. If you weren't here, I'll just try to go through them quickly enough so that you can jot down what we're saying. The first one is this. Paul was motivated to share Christ because of the coming judgment. His whole motivation for what he was doing was because of the fact that there was going to be a judgment. And notice what how he describes that judgment. In the scripture, he calls it the coming terror. See, this is where that raised that whole question about, are we facing a judgment? Yes. Now, it's not a judgment unto damnation. It's not a judgment unto hell. But you're going to have to answer to God for the way that you and I live. We're going to have to answer to him for that. See, here's the thing. A lot of times when we get saved, we think that the moment we get saved, God handed us a master card. Notice I said master, as in the master. And it's an endless supply of forgiveness based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's not like you're going to get a credit card statement in the mail from the master card. And so every time we sin, we just whip out our master card and expect it to be charged to the blood of Christ. That is the mentality that a lot of Christians have today concerning sin in their life. That I can just whip out my MasterCard. The problem is, is that they forget what the Scripture says. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Then he says this, God forbid. No way. No way. See, you're going to be held accountable for the way that you live. You just don't have a free ticket to do whatever you want to do. But sometimes in the way that we present the gospel, we give people that impression that now that I'm forgiven, past, present, and future, I can do whatever I want to do. No, you can't. And so Paul's even saying here, in light of the coming terror of the Lord, I may remind you, you think, terror, boy, that sounds terrible. How many of you remember doing something wrong? Oh, you can't remember. Okay, think about it. Right. How many remember doing something wrong? And you knew you had to face your dad. And do you remember going into his presence? Was there a sense of terror there? 
Was there a sense of fear? See, that's what he's talking about. Can I be honest with you today? Today, most Christians don't have that sense of fear with God. He's our friend, but we've reduced him so much down to our friend, we forget that he's God, that he's Lord. And we have to give him an answer for how we live. And so Paul's saying, he was motivated to share Christ because of the coming judgment, because of the coming terror, when he would stand before God and God would say, so what did you do? Were you my faithful servant? Actually, I don't think he's going to ask you, what did you do? He's going to say, this is what you did. This is what you did. All right, let's go on. Just as God recognized who Paul was, he hopes that the Corinthians would. Now, again, we're getting back to an underlying theme that the Corinthians are dealing with this whole issue of accepting Paul for who he is. And so Paul makes this statement now that he's saying to them that God knows who he is. God is the one who commends, knows who he is, and he's known by God. God is the one who's boasting. So just as God knows him, shouldn't they know him? Shouldn't they be boasting in him? Shouldn't they be commending him because he's the father, their spiritual father? He's the one who planted the church. He's the one who did the ministry there. So that's the point he makes there. So a motivation for his service is that he hopes that the Corinthians would recognize who he was. So he talks about his status there. Now he talks about his sensitivity. So here's his sensitivity. Paul was sensitive about commending himself to them. He he didn't want to spend a lot of time. That's not what he did. He didn't like boasting about himself. He didn't want to commend himself to them all the time. And remember, we talked about this three weeks ago because we said a lot of young pastors will fall into this trap where they will focus on what? Being called what? Pastor or reverend or whatever. Pastor or reverend. And the focus is on that. The focus is completely on that. And so what they're doing is trying to commend themselves, but they, what they misunderstand is, is that really for a pastor, the way to commend yourself is not through titles. Because you notice Paul never called himself the apostle. He said he was an apostle, but he never used the title as I'm the apostle Paul. What he's doing is he's commending himself to them because of what he's done among them. He's done among them. He's done among them. Let's go on. The Corinthians should have had more than enough pride in him. That should have taken more than enough pride in him. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you think about the person in your life who led you to Jesus? And are you thankful? Do you, do you, have, to, do you have to take some time and think, well, I wonder what kind of good thing I can think about that person? Probably not. When you think about the person who led you to Christ, you're, you're very thankful for those people in your life. And you take pride in them. The Corinthians had forgotten that. The Corinthians had forgotten that. And Paul says, look guys, you should have had more than enough to take pride in me. I'm the one who birthed you. I'm the one who was there with you in the early days. So, he's talking about his sensitivity. Now, he's going to respond now, verse 13, to the criticism. Paul points out that if he is crazy, it's for God. Because some of the folks that were saying, Paul's mad. Some of these, these false brethren and so forth were saying, Paul's off his rocker. He's Looney Tunes. He's loco. And he's saying, look, if I'm loco, if I'm crazy, it's I'm crazy for God. I'm crazy for God. 
I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm living the way that I'm living because that's going to be an issue. The issue of the way he's living will come up later when we get into chapters 8 and 9 because they're going to... Listen, this is, this, listen to this. They're going to get upset with him because he won't accept their money. How many, how many of you have met a pastor like that who won't accept your money? And they're upset. He won't take our money. There must be something wrong with him. And he had a reason for not taking their money. And we'll talk about that later. That's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. And so, he points out that if he's crazy, it's for God in verse 13. But then he also says this in verse 13. That if he's sane, that is, if he has his mental faculties together, he points out that if he's sane, it's for their sake. If he's not crazy, he's doing what he's doing for their sake. For their well-being. For, for them. And then he goes on and he says that he's compelled by the love of God. So we see that in verse 14 and 15. A couple points we want to make here. And that's this. Paul tells them that he is compelled by the love of God. He is doing what he is doing because of the love of God in his life. Let me ask you a question. Why do you do what you do? And, and drop the spiritual whatever in your mind. Why do you do what you honestly do? Is it because you love Jesus? Or is it because you want recognition? Is it because you love Jesus? Or is it because of what you can get out of what you're doing? Are you doing it for your own selfishness? So we've got to ask ourselves those questions. In fact, let's go back to verse, verse 11 where he talks about the coming terror of God. Our, you know, we can, even, we can even deceive ourselves right now as to what our motives are. Have you noticed that you can deceive yourselves as to why you do what you do? But one day when you stand before God, everything will be revealed. Your whole motivation for what you did will come to light. Isn't that a scary thing? When he looks at you and I and he says, you know, George, you did that in my name, but you didn't really do it in my name. You did it in your name. You didn't do that for me, George. You did that for yourself. You've already received your reward. You don't have anything for that. Isn't that, isn't that scary? That kind of puts everything in perspective. So with the Apostle Paul, he tells them that he was compelled by the love of God. He was compelled by the love of God. See, here's the thing. I, I will say this all the time. I don't, I don't think that we as Christians truly understand what our salvation means. We don't truly understand salvation. What it means in my life, in your life. Because if we understood what salvation means, what salvation cost, what salvation has done, I think it would change us all and how we live our lives, what we do, how we interact with each other. It will completely radical, be a complete radical change in all of us. Because it's not just forgiveness. And I don't think most of us have a complete understanding of what salvation is. And so therefore, because of that, we just live our lives the way that we do. But for Paul, he was compelled by the love of God. The other thing, because of the death of Christ... We can no longer live just for ourselves. Here's his motivation. He's not living for himself. 
It's not about him. Hey, can I explain something to you? This is radical. But this is true. Kerbinsville Christian Church does not exist for you, does not exist for me. It doesn't even exist for the people outside. Kerbinsville Christian Church exists for one person only, Jesus Christ. Everybody understand that? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about Him. See, we've got to understand that. See, that'll help us a lot of times if we're trying to do things for Jesus and He leads us in a direction and so forth that maybe might be, if I don't like what's happening or whatever, I can keep it all in perspective because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so because of the death of Christ, we can no longer live for just ourselves. So, church isn't just for us. Paul recognized that what he did was not just for himself. Okay, now let's talk about the reconciliation we have in Christ. And so we're verse 16 through 21. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And we're going to get through the lesson today. Look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, compelling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, so let's look at this. The issue of change of reconciliation. He's going to deviate again from his normal conversation now to focus on this whole issue of reconciliation. Why he does what he's doing. Why is it that the death of Christ has brought this about that he's going to serve others before? And so he's going to talk about this whole issue of reconciliation. So here's what he says. First thing. Verse 16, he makes this point. Paul could no longer see people from a human perspective. Yesterday I was uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I had to get some antifreeze. Boy, for some reason the, uh, the engine wasn't... The heater wasn't working right. I thought it must be low on antifreeze or something. So I went and got went into the store to get my antifreeze. But as I went into the Walmart this time, I decided as I was going to walk, I said, I'm going to look at these people around me different than just obstacles that i got to dodge as I run in and run out. I began to look at them from the perspective of the eternal rather than from the human perspective. I began to look at them for the realization, Lord, look at all these people. The chances are most of them don't know you. They're going to die and go to hell. Can I ask you a question? Do you have that perspective as you drive through town, as you go to the smokehouse on spaghetti night, as you go to Walmart to do most of your shopping? I mean, do you do you have that perspective? That the people that are around you, the clerk who's waiting on you, the guy who's pumping the gas in for you, or, or the mechanic, or the guy that comes and repairs your heater, do you have the perspective of the human perspective or the eternal perspective? Do you recognize that person as possibly... Maybe reality is more than likely that they're going to hell. 
See, that was the Apostle Paul's perspective. He was saying that when he looked at people, he could no longer look at them from a human perspective. He could no longer look at them that way. That's why he, his heart broke over them. You know, here's the thing. On, on time of prayer on Sunday nights, we've been praying for the community, and I've added one more thing in there, and I've, I've said, ask God to break our hearts for the community. I think we get so comfortable with our existence, with our neighbors and stuff, that we forget the reality that if they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. They're going to hell. Every one of them. Every single last one of them is going to hell. You may need to begin to view things from an eternal perspective. From the fact of where are these folks going to spend their lives in eternity? See, and when you know that it's changed your perspective from earth to eternal, it'll begin to affect you like how you pray for them. Because you'll begin to pray for them to get saved. You'll begin to pray, Lord, give me opportunities. You'll begin to pray, Lord, bring someone across their path. It'll affect you. It'll affect you. So, he could no longer see people from a human perspective. He had to see them from the perspective of the cross. Where were they with reference to the cross? Where were they with reference to salvation? Hey, you know what? When you begin to view things with reference to salvation, reference to the cross, you'll even change in your attitude with the person that irritates you. What do you mean, George? Here's what I mean. Say you get a clerk and they just drive you nuts. They make you angry the way they're acting with you or whatever, or somebody, who knows. Somebody irritates you the way they're acting and stuff. From a human perspective, you're like, you just want to tell them some choice words. But from an eternal perspective, you look at them from an eternal perspective, you could say, hmm, chances are that person doesn't know Jesus. If they knew Jesus, he would work in their life. And see, what's happening in their actions right now is just a reflection of the fact that they don't know Jesus. And I need to pray for that person that they'll come to Jesus. I need to reach out to that person that they'll come to Jesus. Hey, you know what? Chances are, like, let's take somebody who got a mean, a mean, mean old person. Chances are nobody's taking time to love them. And see, here's the thing. You've got to view people from an eternal perspective, not from a human perspective. From a human perspective, people are like, I don't have anything to do with her. You've got to reach beneath the surface. You've got to reach beneath the surface. See, that's what Paul says. He could no longer see people from a human, earthly perspective. He had to view them from the perspective of the cross. Let's go on. Not only did he have a change outlook, he talked about a new creation. He says this, a person who is in Christ has become a new creature. Look, if you know Jesus Christ, you're not the same old person you were before you got saved. Yeah, you're inhabit the same old body, but you got a new mind, you got a new heart. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ. But yet so many of us look at ourselves based upon our past, don't we? So many of us look at ourselves based upon our past failures. 
when the reality is, is that he sees us as a new creature in Christ. New. New creature in Christ. So then, that's verse 17. We go into verse 18 and 19. And he talks about God's reconciliation. Here's what he's saying. Number one, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. See, here's the thing. Before salvation, there was a big rift between you and God. Between I and God. We're talking a major problem. That problem was sin. And the result of that problem was us going to hell. And Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross, reconciled us to him. The relationship was mended. Isn't that an awesome thought? See, did it have anything to do with you? I'll say it again. Did it have anything to do with you? No. Did you hear what you just said? Then why do you constantly look at you and say, my relationship must not be right with God because of this. My friends, your relationship with God has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what God, Jesus, has done for you. He's the one who reconciled you. He's the one who reconciled you. So then, what does he say? We then become ministers of God's reconciliation. Because of God reconciling us to him, you now become a minister of reconciliation. What does that mean? You now become a message bearer of the reconciliation that you've experienced so that others can experience the same reconciliation. Do you understand? Listen, can I be honest with you? You are not... Listen to what I'm going to say. You are not responsible to clean up their act. For so long, churches felt like they had to be responsible for cleaning up people's act. See, we, we put the cart before the horse. We tell people, and that's why people don't come to church. They'll come to church and say, well, you'll hear this all the time. I, I don't have clothes to wear to come to church. I've heard that one. In this community, I've heard that. I, I don't have clothes to come to church. Since when does clothes got to be a prerequisite for people to come to church? If that's the prerequisite, then we're no better than the moose, because you've got to have a membership to go there, or whatever else. Or you remember Fred Flintstone and the you know and the water buffaloes? You know you got to have the hat, okay? Yeah, the water buffalo hat. Some 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 of you are looking at me like, well, you need to watch Fred Flintstone, okay? And you know. You know, they got the, you know, you know what I'm saying? And they all showed up with their hats. You know, you got to have your hat. Isn't that what we were doing with the clothes issue? So they were messages. We become messengers of God's reconciliation. We, that's your ministry. You know what? You are to what? Minister to others with a message of reconciliation. He goes on. He says this. Because of reconciliation, God has not reckoned us our transgressions, our trespasses against us. He's not reckoned our... He doesn't consider our sins against us. Now you're saying, well, how, how, wait a minute, now you talk about His judgment. Okay, we'll get to that later. But understand, when it comes to the issue of your salvation, your sins are not accounted against you. You understand? Okay, so let's go through these then. 
Verse 20 then, he goes on and says, we are ambassadors for Christ through which God speaks to this world. Do you realize that you are an ambassador? How are you, Ambassador Gary? Do you realize you're an ambassador? Ambassador Tom, how are you today? We think of ambassadors as those, as those whatever doctors, whoever that are in the State Department that go to you know, the UN or wherever, some country or whatever. Shirley Temple, you know, she was an ambassador, you know, whatever. Or the UN goodwill ambassadors, those flaky stars that you see go around the country and do their thing. Now, but can I be honest with you? You're an ambassador. You're an ambassador from the Most High God to this world. And He speaks through you. Do you realize that? Do you realize that you are a voice box for God? You say, well, I'm not a preacher. No, but you're an ambassador. Every one of you are an ambassador. Every one of you brings forth a message about God with your life. Every one of you. And that message should be the message of reconciliation. And so then, here's what he talks about Christ's ministry of reconciliation. He says this, the sinless Christ became sin for our salvation. See, that's our message. The message that we're ambassadors to is the fact that Jesus became sin for our salvation. He became the sin offering. The perfect Jesus, who was without sin, became our sin For our salvation. For our salvation. And why? Why did He do this? Jesus did this so that we might become righteous. So that you might become righteous. Jesus did this. He did this for you because you could become righteous. Isn't that an awesome thought? It's not that anything that you can do for righteousness. It's what He has done for you. What He has done for you. So then he talks about this. He gives an appeal to reconciliation. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Two things I want you to see. First of all, his plea. Paul is urging the Corinthians to take the grace of God seriously. Can I be honest with you? That's what every one of us need to do. This is not just for them. It's for you and I. You and I need to take the grace of God seriously. See, when you think of it as a MasterCard that you can just go and lay down a charge and say, oh, I've got the forgiveness for this, whatever. You're not taking God's grace seriously. You're not taking it seriously. He's saying you and I need to take the grace of God seriously in our life. Why? Because it cost him his death. It put Jesus on the cross. He died so that you could have it. Take it seriously. So he goes on then. What is he saying? He wanted them to live up to the gospel's demands. What are the gospel's demands for you and I? He just talked about it. You and I are ambassadors. You and I are messengers. You and I are messengers of reconciliation. That's the demand that's been put upon us. Look, He just didn't save you so that you could be ready for by and by. That you could just sit back in your, your gospel easy chair. Where's that reclining pew here? It's right here. So you could just kind of, just kind of, oh boy. What do you got for me today, George? You know, and just kind of take it easy. You know? You know what I'm saying? He, di- he didn't save you for that. 
He saved you for a purpose. The purpose is so that you in turn would share with others what? The message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation. So here we go. Next thing. Salvation is God's initiative, he tells us. The, the reason for this plea is, is that he is quoting Isaiah 49.8 to underscore that salvation is the initiative of God. Don't anyone ever say that salvation is because of you. It's because of God. What he's done. What he's done. And then here finally he says this. Paul urged the Corinthians not to spurn that grace. Don't spurn it. Focus on it. Make it a part of your life. Let it motivate you. Let it guide you. But don't spurn it. Okay. We're done. Alright, let's pray and we'll get ready for the morning worship. Next week, we are going to keep looking at chapter 6. Let's pray.